Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. AMC Theaters is testing a new pricing policy called Sightlines, where they're going to charge an extra dollar or two for the best middle seats in theaters, and you get discounts for side seats and the front row. Since the only AMC cinema in the Richmond area is dine-in, they're not sure if it'll affect them or not. Again, this is only testing in a few markets at this point. The plan ensured that for decades to come, the struggle for racial justice would not just be chronicled by a newspaper from New York, but one right from Richmond, Virginia. That was an excerpt from Birth of a Planet, the documentary produced by local creatives Tilt about John Mitchell Jr., the founder of the Daily Planet that chronicled life in Richmond's black community in the early 20th century. This week's show features two people behind the making of the documentary, Sylvester Tucker, the director, and Jack Nestor, the producer. By the way, the documentary will air on VPM February 28th at 9 p.m. Sifter Review of the Week. Kunk on Earth on Netflix. Yeah, I know, the title turned me off at first, too, but give it a chance. Diane Morgan plays Philomena Kunk, the clueless host of a mockumentary series about civilization. She trounces through historical sites with her droll, deadpan delivery, dropping truly funny wisecracks. There are some interviews with experts which make them look either flummoxed or unamused while she comes off as even more dense. The humor sometimes borders on controversial, but the truly hilarious observations keep the movie squarely in smartly satirical territory. I gave it four and a half out of five stars. Now I am joined today by Jack Nestor, who is the producer, and Sylvester Tucker, or Sly, as most people know him, who is the director of Birth of a Planet. Welcome to Sifter, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, Jerry. We appreciate it. So first of all, years ago when I was still self-employed, I worked at the Park Group. Actually, I worked at Park Teleproductions, then I worked at Park Productions, then I worked at Park Group. And that somehow evolved into Tilt, or kind of? How did that, what's the whole story there? Park Group is no longer a thing because these three amazing individuals, Ron Carey, Stacey Murphy, Dave Tronsell, they decided that they were really good at what they did individually, but they figured they could be better and great at combining their forces. So now we are Tilt Creative and Production, which is a amalgamation of Studio Squared and Park Group. Studio Squared was the creative side of things. Park Group was, was known, obviously, for production and editorial. Right. We decided to become what you what I like to call a one-stop. There you so go. If you have an idea, we can, we can create your idea, enhance it to anything what you want. Brochures, to social, to TV, to film. We just finished a couple documentaries and we finished a TV pilot a couple years ago. So we kind of do everything now. What was the impetus? What was the inspiration for this documentary? We were going to paint this mural on the side of our studio and of John Mitchell Jr., founder of the Richmond Planet. And, you know, we kind of just want to do like a short little video about it with the artist Hamilton Glass who painted it. Since we came this new entity called Tilt Creative Production, well, how do we represent who we are? We're a Black-owned business. We're a woman-owned business. We don't just want to put a logo on the side of a wall what will represent the city and what we do. Um, the Richmond Planet 
the first African-American newspaper, it was self-generated, self-manifested. So that felt like it was a good thing. As Jack said, we got Hamilton Glass. If you know anything about murals in this town or anywhere, Hamilton Glass is all over this town. Child, you obviously haven't listened to my podcast because I interviewed him last year <laughs> See? on so, Mending Walls. Absolutely. And so, and, and I want to just give a little shout out to Christina Gulick too. She helped kind of like get Hamilton to be involved. And from there, it was like, well, who is the Richmond Planet? And we just started generating this story. Reggie Carter, who is a activist was had been leading the charge on kind of getting a Richmond Planet license plate approved for the state, which it has been, and you can order it this summer. Right. So we interviewed Hamilton first, and then we interviewed Reggie. And then kind of from there, Sly and just kept, you know, digging and Scott kept digging. And then we just started contacting people for the documentary and it kind of just grew. It out just of evolved. Yeah. Real sideline to, as Jack said, to Reggie Carter. So the Richmond Planet license plate will be the first Black African-American, whatever you want to say, license plate that is not a sorority or fraternity. And if you want to get your Confederate license plate, you can still do as an alternative. (laughs) There's a nice alternative for people too. Surprise guest drop in. Speaking of actually John Mitchell, we have a surprise drop in here. Let's see who this is. Oh, no, this is awesome. My ears were burning. (laughs) Footnote, John Mitchell is the great-great-nephew of the John Mitchell Jr. who founded the Richmond Planet. John, thank you so much for joining us. We were actually just talking about the genesis of the project and how it got started. When did you first hear about this documentary? Well, I received a phone call from Hamilton. Hamilton, when he did that, it just so happens that Ham's mom is the manager of one of the bands I played with. What band was that? It's a band, a a guy called Big G. He does Southern Soul up and down the East Coast. And so I've known her for like seven or eight years. And so I watched Ham grow up. So I guess he, right place at the right time, he was like, I think I know that guy. And he did, obviously. Yes, he did. And he reached out to me and asked if I had information would it be okay with me. I was like, sure. And I didn't know it was going to bl- blossom into this. It was a blessing. Where did the name come from? It sounds like science fiction, birth of a planet. Ooh, and obviously it's not. Where did Who came up with that name and why? The name should be given credit to Charlie Kennedy. She's a fellow producer that actually worked on the planet. Uh, Charlie and myself were just talking and Charlie was just like, man, it just felt like, like from the mural to this, it felt like you all were giving birth to something. You know, it's like birth of a planet. And I was like, write it down. Oi, 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 oi. Write it down, go. <laughs> I always thought it was like the birth of a nation. Yeah, well, yeah, that too, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. an interesting contrast to birth yeah. of a nation. Exactly. Birth of a planet in response to the birth of a nation. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, talk about that a little bit, John, because I know one of the things you talked about in the documentary, which I thought was interesting, is this wasn't just reporting on what was happening. He was creating a community in town, literally and physically. Yeah, we can talk about editors so much uh, that we forget that there are other people that have to contribute to the paper. Although he was a reporter, became a journalist and became an editor, he still had to enlist other people. So the community was giving him the information, helping him write the information, print the information. So it became a community and they shared resources. You know, Maggie Walker got the newest printing press at one point. So that's what ended up printing the Richmond Planet in later years. And, you know, it was just a lot of stuff going on there and there was no way to be separated. Speaking of a lot of stuff, there was so much 
footage in this thing, so much research, photographs, mm. videos, some of the stuff I've seen, if it was about Richmond, who, who was responsible for sitting down, finding all that stuff? Because I'm sure it wasn't an easy task to go through all that stock. It was a ask of everyone. The biggest thing for me, and I'll let Jack and John speak too, but the biggest thing to me is I did not want to see your traditional pictures, typical black person in a field or doing something. I wanted to see something where you actually show them being teachers, right, being right. educators, because that's sorry, after the Civil War, that's all they were. They had to figure out how to be self-sufficient. And so we really wanted to show that in the documentary. We had just this document just filled with images of old Richmond and stuff like that, just like which you can all find. It's all on the Library of Congress and it's all free. It's fascinating that there's all this amazing footage. How much of that was actually Richmond? I know obviously some of the streets and some of the stuff is, but there's other footage of Black life. Is that all in Richmond or some of that in other areas in the country that y'all just put in a place where it didn't say Richmond? Well, there's some footage of Tulsa, um, of the Tulsa massacre, obviously. There are some um, archive footage of areas of Georgia and North Carolina, but to our credit, we stayed in Richmond, even to the point where if we went outside of Richmond, it was only good to go to Evergreen Cemetery. Now, Daniel Jones is the voiceover talent. Instead of using a fancy big time voiceover announcer uh, or asking Morgan Freeman to come in and do it, you use Daniel Jones. Who is he and why did y'all decide to let him do it? Daniel Jones is a young, hip cat He's also an MC. They found it was real important, and we also didn't. Like when Meeting of the Minds, the voice had to be young. It had oh. to be current. Sometimes the gravitas of somebody like a James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman, you have an, oh, well, somebody's talking to me and teaching something. Right. I've watched the faces of people watching these things, and the younger people, they identify with it more. The diction of the person, the, you could tell it's a youthful reading of it. In 1883, the New York Globe carried a story from Richmond, Virginia, about a group of whites acquitted following a racially motivated street brawl in Danville that left four black men dead. A colored man is mercilessly beaten by a white man, while another brandishes a revolver to keep off all peacemakers, the Globe reported. So that was a real big important thing to make sure that that's our audience, that the audience are people under 25 to me, 30 and under that I think we need to focus on because they're the ones that are going to carry the message a lot further than um, us um, seniors. (laughs) Elders. Elders. I'm sorry. Elders. That's what I'm calling myself now. It's fine. Jonathan, I know this must be fascinating for you because it was really neat that Mrs. Norrell, the great, great, great granddaughter, I don't know how many generations she went back, of Albert Norrell, who has a school named after him. And she talked about going to the school and seeing her her granddaddy's pictures up there. How about for you? How has that been to hear John Mitchell's name in the world again and to see his picture up on the wall so big? Yeah, the context gets lost a a lot of times when you see the name of a school. I mean, the same thing can be said for um, the Confederates named schools that they're now changing the names. You lose the context over time, but you don't realize what they do, what they did in their heyday and how they're no different than us in a way. One of the other things I noticed, there was a line, and I believe it was actually from Mitchell himself, that he said, the newspaper is to speak to whites. Yeah. What's that concept? Well, you think about it, the whole attitude coming out of slavery, if that's the lens you want to see these new people coming into their own, you've got the wrong lens. You need to change your glasses. I mean, actually, you want to break the glasses. and. His audience was that. I mean, I think almost we were just secondary in a certain way. We had personal relationships and they weren't going to have that many personal relationships with us. But the newspaper, that's a big deal. 
what was the biggest challenge, Jack? I guess this would be a Jack or Sly question. What was the biggest challenge in making this documentary? I mean, just getting everything organized, probably. Just this was my first time really working on like a bigger documentary like this as a producer. So just gathering all of that information and then kind of helping and working more closely with like an editorial team to kind of shape it. I think that was my biggest challenge for sure. Do you know how many total images you had, including video and not the stuff you all shot, but historical footage and film? Oh, yeah. Photos. Very, it, it has to be easily in the hundreds. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no, say, say thousands, because hear, yeah. here's the thing. And I think, you know, you, Gary, would understand it, but I want your audience to understand something too. Like for everything they see in this first 31 minute version, which will now be another 26 minute version, they see this, but they don't see what's on the floor. If I can speak on a challenge for me was really just making sure that we were shaping this in a way that told the story of not John Mitchell, but the story of Black people trying to come into their own, because that was really important. And also the thing that I really was trying to stress too, um, because in John, I'm not trying to call you out, but like John had some stuff happened with his family too during this documentary. I was really trying to make sure that the Mitchell and their whole family was honored doing this too. And you did it. You did it. How has the family reaction been, John? Oh, major happiness. The clarity that they were able to bring this vision out uh, was really uplifting. I know I tell the same story over and over again. You know, we've seen people use everything from VHS players to slideshows to try to tell the John Mitchell story. But to me, the biggest showing that I got was when we showed it to the Mitchell family. When we showed yeah. it to the Mitchell family at the Lily Black, and John can speak, speak on what the Lily Black is. Oh, yeah. Now, Lily Black comes from the name of the political party that John Mitchell, Maggie Walker, and several others actually ran for office. So it's called the Lily Black Party in, you know, in response to the Lily White Party. Huh. And the bank that he used to own is now being run as several offices, but the downstairs is an event space. And the young Black woman that owns it named it Lily Black. Oh, cool. So it was great. a great event space where you can actually be in that spot. So when we invited the family there, most of them knew what Lily Black was, but they all didn't. So it's this whole thing coming together. And then when they saw the film, it was kind of like, I think some of them said their heads were swirling. Wow. Because wow. Cool. it wasn't what they expected. I noticed as somebody who's seen a lot of documentaries, there was nothing fancy here. There were no fancy elaborate animations and you know unusual fancy music or sound effects or anything or anything about the production that called attention to the production. It was pretty much very straightforward in terms of the structure and the design. Was that intentional? Yeah, I mean, I think the story speaks for itself and it's so powerful and especially in a city like Richmond, there's so much history here. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, I'm I'm young allegedly. And- <laughs> Whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Growing up here, I never learned about this. And right. that to me is like one insane. But two, when you're, you know, being asked to help tell this story, well, you know it's powerful, you know it's special. So that should be able to stand on its own. You shouldn't need bells and whistles to tell, to share, not tell, share important stories like this. What was the biggest surprise that that y'all discovered in the process of putting this thing together? Whether it was something about John Mitchell or just something in general about Richmond or something that just you didn't. Oh, wow, that's news. Man, I, I, I say it over and over. And I'm not saying it to make a catchphrase, but mm-hmm. John Mitchell Jr. is Richmond's most famous citizen that no one knows about. And again, it's a shame. If anything, if we could bring light to this, this is amazing. You know, it was a really super amazing journey. I think one of the reasons that he's not as well known is that 
well, it's Virginia, first of all. If you've if you've ever heard the phrase the Virginia way, it is definitely true. Um if uh, as I like to say it, the hotbed of social rest. Hey man, that's a good way of saying it. If you die in grandeur, everybody will remember you. Right. But if you've been beaten down to a certain point and people actually start to either dislike you or just want to push you aside. He was, you could basically say he was canceled in some ways. Mm -hmm. And if he was, think about how many others were. Mm -hmm. Jim Crow really put a lot on people and people that did great things before that and during, I don't think they get the credit they deserve. You mentioned a new version there briefly. So the version that's going to be on VPM at the end of this month, is that an extended version or is that the original version that I saw? We did a cut down version just to um, fit within VPM's like normal timeframe. Right. That's coming. And thank you for mentioning that too, because it, that's an amazing thing. Because the whole purpose is just to get this out so that people can know about this, right. like the planet and John Mitchell. Jr. Right, right. And we'll have a link yeah. on the website for, for that. How did the longer, the extended version, the director's cut, shall we call it, how did that evolve and where is that going to be seen? You can still see that version of it. And, you know, it's it's it's, it's just a cut down of five minutes. That version is our, is like, I call it our pleasure version. And the 26 version is like just super tight. And we wanted to make it really super precise to kind of just make sure that we uh, still kept all the notes, but we're within that time frame. Right. There's just a lot of stuff left on the floor that I'm still begging to see. But we I know it's so like we could easily have made this like a, a, a docu series, you know? Yeah. 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 We hear that cut. a lot yeah. from some of the other documentary people I've made too. It's, you kill your darlings. You have to. Oh, you have to do that with money. Right, that's so yeah. funny. Um, Sean Gorman, the, the writer of this, that's his favorite saying, kill your darlings. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh man, that's so brutal. Yeah. So, what is next for Tilt? Have you got another documentary lined up? We do. We, uh, we're working on another project with VCU right now. Um, I don't want to give away the title. I can't say the title right now until we uh, are finished with it, but that's another uh, one that we've been honored to work on. Is that a documentary? It's a documentary okay. again. We are also just doing, plugging along, doing our normal thing. We did do a TV pilot called The Magic Shed, which is awesome to watch if you if you can find it. Go on Instagram. Look up the Magic Shed, and it's a link with um, Andy Carmwith, who was the director of it, and our Ian Hawkins, who was the DP of it. I'll have to include a link to that on the web page too. <laughs> Thank you. I think they'll be so appreciative of that. Yeah. So the last question I like to ask everybody, and I'll get three of you, all three of you, to answer this question: What are you watching when you're sitting at home? You don't have to work. What are you watching on streaming or TV or even in the movie theaters? Come on, yeah. Slash shaking his head like, oh, I he must be that. so. Embarrassed. Great question. <laughs> I'll go first. I am a YouTube playlist junkie. Oh, you know, I grew, I grew up turning on Leave It to Beaver in the morning, and it's like you know, <laughs> right? And you just let play, let play, and then it's like I can't do this anymore. I get up every morning, I go through the recommended, and I do watch later, watch later, watch later, watch later. Oh, watch that later. Then I go about my business, start YouTube, and I let it play in the background. Movies that I may have never seen, documentaries. I'm a big fan of Crash Course History. With Clint Smith, um, he's one of the guys who worked on the 1619 project. And if you let those things play in the background, it gets into your head. So yeah, I, and if you're going to waste your time online, go to the Library of Congress website and just dig. Even if you're not doing a documentary, it's great. You, you just don't know it until you see it. Jack, I wish I had a meaningful answer as John. Um, <laughs> but usually when I'm home, I'm kind of like a little, you know, as. Jerry, you get this as a producer, director, a little brain dead. So I like to usually just turn on something mindless. And as a young homosexual male, that usually turns into the Real Housewives. 
Oh, really? Oh, oh okay. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, saying, I, I would have said RuPaul or Project Runway. Yes, I watched a lot of RuPaul too, but um, right now it's something I'm really into. I really like the new Last of Us TV show. Mm-hmm. Oh, you speak about homosexuals. It's very interesting. They had this whole episode around two men and their relationship, which I wasn't expecting, and almost no zombies. So come on, get back to the real thing. Sly, what about you? What are you watching? I am watching some very intellectual shows. One would be Southside. Footnote. Southside is a comedy set in Chicago that revolves around friends who work at a rent-to-own store. Which, which for anyone who doesn't know, if you're a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, this is the black version of that. Right, right. The it's right pretty outrageous. Something. And, and then um, a co-worker said, oh, if you like that, try this. And the same makers of that have this thing on Hulu called Sherman Showcase. Footnote. Sherman's Showcase was a fictional comedy inspired by shows like Soul Train and American Bandstand. Uh-huh. Sherman yeah. Showcase is a spin and a riff on Soul Train. And right. it's, it's delicious, it's edible, and mm-hmm. I cannot stop binging on it. Craig, yeah, Craig is something on that. Actually, that new show, Poker Face, getting a lot of press, and it's really interesting. Jerry, watched all four episodes of that, and it's great. It it's, is good, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a homage to all the 70, 80 shows. It's yep. really great. It's super great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've been enjoying that too. The other new one is Shrinking, which is actually really good too. That's yeah, on Apple Plus, right? Yeah, Jason Siegel and uh, Harrison Ford and created by the people who did Ted Lasso. I've been also watching um, Ex Machia. Wait, sorry, Box. Um, no, it's Box Machia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at you, John. Uh, I don't yeah, know that. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it. All right. I want to thank you all three for dropping in today to talk about Birth of a Planet. It's been fascinating. Any final words for us before we sign off? No, I just want to say, uh, Jerry, thank you for the opportunity. And from one podcaster to another, I appreciate you doing this and keep going. Jack, how about you? As somebody who's young enough to actually listen to podcasts. Yeah, true. Yeah, thanks for having us. John? Man, thanks for sharing it with your audience. And the main thing is, after you see it, talk about it. There you go. We've been talking about The Making of Birth of a Planet, a documentary about John Mitchell Jr. and his newspaper that chronicled life in Richmond's Black community in the early part of the 20th century. The documentary will air on VPM February 28th at 9 p.m. There are links to the show and more on the webpage at TV Jerry. Coming soon in theaters. Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantumania. Jonathan Majors joins Paul Rudd and the rest of the crew in this latest Marvel adventure. Marlowe. Liam Neeson takes a break from his usual action films to portray Raymond Chandler's classic detective. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Now that the classic children's tale is in public domain, the adorable bear is now a slasher. Of an age, a 17-year-old Serbian-born Australian amateur ballroom dancer experiences an unexpected and intense 24-hour romance. Oscar Shorts will be playing in three series at Movieland, animated, documentary, and live action. TV and streaming. Sharper on Apple. Julianne Moore plays a high society woman in New York City who runs into issues with a con artist, played by Sebastian Stan. Hello Tomorrow, also on Apple, Billy Crudup plays a salesman selling timeshares on the moon in this 50s futuristic series. Star Trek Picard on Paramount enters its final season with the addition of some crewmates from Next Generation. Carnival Row on Amazon Prime. After four years, this show is back with Orlando Bloom investigating a series of gruesome murders. 
By the way, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of the major services. Just go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. If you didn't watch the Super Bowl last weekend, you might have watched the Puppy Bowl. Next week's guest is Stephen Lack, who's an audio technician and designer who actually worked sound on the Puppy Bowl. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.